They've planted uh, a church in Austin, Texas. They've planted a church in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, now Paul serves in our presbytery, which in our denomination, that's a, a region of churches uh, that covers the Tennessee Valley. Uh, he serves in a role where he is kind of the pastor of pastors. Uh, his title is pastor of church planting and church renewal over all the churches in our area here. So Paul is my pastor. So Paul and Fran, Pastor Ashley and I, so that we can pastor you guys. And so I'm thrilled that they would come all of this way to be with us. They joined us last night at our event and got to meet some of you. And then this morning, Paul is going to open God's word to us and uh, preach the gospel to us this morning. And uh, I'm just delighted for that. And so, Paul, you come on up. You won't have to stand behind this because you have a lapel, but uh, excited to hear from you. Thank you, Hutch, so much. Happy, happy birthday. How great is that? I want to tell a story as we get started about a party. Um, it's a story from a preacher named Tony Campolo. He's a, he's a college professor at Eastern College in Pennsylvania, and he speaks and preaches all over. My uncle um, lives at the Jersey Shore in the summertime, and he preaches on the beach at the Jersey Shore. He's done that for years, and they've just always told me stories about Tony Campolo. He writes books. My favorite story I've ever heard Tony Campolo share is he was in Hawaii one time, very far away from eastern Pennsylvania, and he was speaking at a conference in Hawaii, so it's beautiful there. It's warm there. It's great there. The problem is like you're like six or seven hours off your schedule, so he said, I would get up after I got there at like 2 in the morning and I, and I couldn't go back to sleep and I was hungry and I was ready for breakfast so I stumbled the first night out of the hotel at 2 in the morning, went down the street looking for something that was open, found kind of on a back street a greasy old diner. I sit down and I get a cup of coffee and a donut and he says a group of women come in, uh, about eight women and sit on the stools around me and they're prostitutes. And one of them says, and her name is Agnes, and Agnes says, you know, tomorrow is my birthday. And one of them says to Agnes next to them, well, so what? You know, okay, it's your birthday. She said, well, yeah, it's my birthday. Don't be mean to me. And you know what? I've never had a party my whole life. I'm going to be 39 tomorrow, and I've never had a party. And, uh, and so everybody kind of says, oh, okay. And, and they, they head back out on the streets. And Tony says to the guy who owns the diner, Harry, he says, Harry, what if we threw Agnes a party tomorrow night? What if we gave her a birthday party? He says, that's great. It's a great idea. You'll come back in here tomorrow night. She's in here every night in the middle of the night. Yeah, I'll come back. I'll get streamers and stuff. And Harry says, well, I'll make the cake. This is great. And so the next night, Tony comes back in about the same time. He decorates the, the whole diner up with streamers and crepe paper and and Harry brings out this cake he's made for Agnes. Happy birthday, Agnes. It's got candles on it. And, and they've gotten the word out in the whole area uh, through their networks. And everybody comes crammed in the diner at 3. And, and they surprise Agnes. And she comes in. And she is overwhelmed that she has this cake. And, and they're starting to cut it. And she says, no, no, no. I don't want to cut the cake. Let me take it first down the street two blocks to Mama so she can see that I got a birthday cake. And she's going to be so happy 
that people gave me a birthday party. And so Agnes, before they, she lets anybody eat it, runs out the door and takes her cake down the street. And Tony says, after that, she leaves. And everybody's kind of quiet. He says, why don't we pray? Why don't we pray for Agnes? And so he leads a prayer for Agnes. And after he's done, he says, up in my face is Harry. The guy who was in our, said, Campolo, you told me you were a college professor. You're a preacher. You wouldn't pray a prayer like that unless you were a preacher. He said, okay, well, I'm kind of a preacher, yeah. And he goes, what kind of church are you a part of? He said, well, I'm the kind of church that's trying to learn how to throw parties for whores at 3 in the morning. And Harry said, no, you don't. No, you don't. You wouldn't do that. Because if, if, if you did that, I'd come to a church like that. Isn't that the kind of church we all want to be a part of? You, you are that kind of church. You threw a party for everybody in Trenton, no matter where they are in life, no matter how good or how much they're struggling, no matter how much we would look at them and say they're in a good place or look at them and say they're in a hard place, you just threw this party for everybody in Trenton. I love what Hutch says. The level ground is we're all admitting our need, and so we come to our Father looking for grace. So let's have a party. That was beautiful last night. I loved it. Best best pork I've ever had in my life so and I hear that that's not even the best it can be so I'm coming back again that was awesome so the kingdom of God is like a party right it is Jesus talks about that all the time he eats with all kinds of people drinks with all kinds of people celebrates the kingdom of God is like a party here's the other side of it though right the kingdom of God is also a place where we admit sadness where we learn how to lament. So Hutch said, I want you to come, I want you to come on my birthday and preach for me. And we're doing Psalms. And Paul, you're always really good at talking about suffering and hard things. So I want you to talk about lamenting. My wife would say that Paul is an expert in seeing the glass half empty. So this is not the glass half empty. This is saying we got to learn how to party, but we also have to learn how to lament, how to express sadness to God about where our lives are, where the church is, where the world is. And so I want to read to you a little passage today. You've been doing the Psalms, and David is sort of the main author of the Psalms, inspired by God's Spirit. This is a song that David wrote. It's not in the book of Psalms, but it is a song that David wrote. Second Samuel, so you've got... Right before you get to Psalms, you got First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, those history books. This is in the middle of that history, Second Samuel chapter one, okay? And this is right after King Saul and Jonathan his son and David's best friend have died in battle, and David and his friends have not been able to take part in the battle because Saul had exiled them and not allowed them to fight with Israel. And Israel is defeated badly, and Saul dies. Saul was, was, was hit by an arrow and then actually run through by his own spear by a boy who is standing nearby. And it's just tragic. And David is lamenting. So I hear we stand up. I love that. Let's stand up for the reading of this text. 2 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. David wants to teach Israel to learn how to lament. May God teach us how to lament with David's words. 2 Samuel 1, 
beginning of verse 17. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jeshar. He said, Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. They, they were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. battle. Jonathan, lie slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Dear Father, would you teach us to lament? We don't really know how, Father. We know despair and we know denial we know whining and crying to everyone around us we know raging quietly or loudly against you we know denying your love for us but we don't know how to lament in faith how to cry over brokenness in our own hearts over our lives or the world around us father you grieved and you mourned and you lamented when the world was very broken in the days of Noah. Jesus, you grieved and mourned when Jerusalem wouldn't accept you as her king. You cried and mourned, Jesus, as you were about to face the horrors of the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, Lord, you know how to lament. Teach us as we bear your image in the world, as we are your church in the world. Teach us by faith to look to you in our sufferings, to look to you for the sake of the world and its sufferings, and to lament by faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, things really are not as they should be, right? People who are defending our country should not have been shot up seemingly randomly 10 days ago, just up the street in Chattanooga. That ought not to happen. When you go to a movie around Lafayette, Louisiana, in a theater a few days ago to catch a flick on a summer night, you shouldn't get shot up from somebody sitting behind you. Uh, when you're going to the beach, as we heard story after stories of people doing this in North Carolina, you shouldn't have to take a baby pool with you 
and fill it with sand and water so your kids can swim in that so that they don't get eaten by sharks. It shouldn't be that way, right? It shouldn't be that last night we leave here and uh, so many people were so gracious to us and invited us to even stay with them and you and your homes. And we said, no, no, no. And so Hutch said, well, just look up the road in Tiftonia. We go to Tiftonia. There are no vacancies in Tiftonia. We drive to downtown Chattanooga. There are no vacancies in downtown Chattanooga. We physically walked in eight hotels in downtown Chattanooga. We pulled up then on a website and saw 40 hotels in greater Chattanooga were without vacancy. So we just drove home to Knoxville and got up early this morning and came back. It should not be that way, right? Life is not supposed to be that way. Lamenting is understanding that and taking that to God. What do we do when things don't go well? We cry, we whine, we deny it, we stuff it, we eat over it or we porn over it, or we immerse ourselves by numbing ourselves with our favorite drink or our favorite sporting event or just puttering around and, and meandering through life. But we don't know how to take it to God. The brokenness in us, the brokenness in the church, the brokenness in the world. God wants us to learn how to lament. David said, I want Israel to be taught this. I want the people of Judah to write this down, to put it in the book of Jeshar, which scholars tell us is, is a book of worship, kind of a pre-Psalter before the Psalter was complete. I, I want people to know how to do this when they're worshiping God. And so God's kept this for us to say, I want you to know how to lament. We're going to ask four questions today, learning how to lament. The first one is what? Just what is a lament, really? And a lament is an expression of loss. You know, I have a friend in, in our church in Knoxville. He's been a part of our church since the very beginning. His name is Jason. And Jason uh, has had all kinds of physical problems. Um, he is a diabetic, among other things. And Jason, about three years ago, had to have his right leg amputated. And I was with him in the hospital. I sat with him before he had the amputation. And I was one of the first people to be with him after it. Jason doesn't have any family. He's not married. He's a single guy. And, um, and so I was his family that day. And, um, and I went and visited Jason a lot right after that amputation. And I said, Jason, is it, is it true? What, Paul? I said, well, is, is it true that after you have something amputated that you feel like it's still there? And he said, yeah, it's true. You think your leg's still there and you look for it and you feel for it and you wonder where it is and then you realize this is really gone. Stats say that over 90% of amputees have that feeling, that, that, that burden, that kind of groping over what is lost. That's what lamenting is. It's a groping around, a feeling for what is lost. It's a realization that things ought not be this way, that they were not this way before sin and brokenness entered the world in creation, and they will not be 
when Jesus comes back. What does Jesus promise? What did He promise in the Gospels? What does He promise in the visions He gives John in the book of Revelation? That He's going to make everything new. That all the wrongs are going to be made right. That even the things that have been struggle and difficulty in this life are going to be part of the beauty of the new creation. Just like Jesus' scars are part of His resurrection body. Part of His beauty and glory and resurrection are those scars that are part of God's whole new wonderful thing. But right now, that's not all here yet. And we mourn that. We're, we're to be like Gollum was. You know, if you've seen the Lord of the Rings movies or read those books, when Gollum loses his ring, he feels for it, he looks for it, he starts crying for it. My precious, my precious, my precious, right? You've got to have that thing that he's lost. That's what lamenting is. You know, we never do this in the church. We did it actually last Sunday night. We decided on the spur of the moment in our presbytery to have a service in Chattanooga Sunday night in light of the shootings. And we just planned it two days in advance. Your church might not have even heard about it. 700 people came to First Pres of Chattanooga. 700 people came. Most of them were older. Most of them were in their 60s or 70s or older. And we started after singing a song or two with lamenting in little groups, just crying out, God, this is not right. This is not as it should be. When something massive like that happens, yes, we do it. But God wants us to do it more often in light of the brokenness in us and in the world. That's what a lament is, and a crying out to God, a wailing of our soul over what has been lost. Nicholas Wolterstorff is, is a teacher, seminary professor, writer, and he lost his oldest son when he turned 25 in a mountain climbing accident. And he wrote a book about it, the, the, the death of a son. And he talks about after his son's death, when he was grieving, he tried to listen to music that would capture that grieving and that burden. And he, so he, he went to something like Brahms' Requiem that was, that was written for a funeral service. And, and this is what he said, I had to turn it off. There's too little brokenness in it. Is there no music that fits our brokenness? Is there no broken music? Please don't say it's really not so bad, because it is. I will indeed remind myself that there's more to life than pain. I will accept joy, but I will not look away from Eric dead. I owe that to him and to God. That's what lamenting is, an acknowledgement of real loss, a wailing of the soul to God. And that brings us to the next question, where? That's what lament is. Secondly, where do we take it? We're ultimately to take it to God. David is sharing this in the community of the faithful in Judah, but he's ultimately taking this to God. And the Godward direction of lament is crucial. Otherwise, you're just whining and complaining. Otherwise, you're looking to people around you who don't have resources to help you. We said this already. Part of God's glory, I said it in the prayer, part of God's glory is that He is a lamenter. Okay? When God made the world and it fell into sin and the world begins to tumble and spiral, when we get to the point of the flood 
and violence is just raging, God laments. What does God say? I am sad that I've made mankind on the earth. God's lamenting. Jesus, when he comes, when Jerusalem rejects him as king and savior and Lord, he weeps over Jerusalem. Why didn't you come to me? I was here like a mother hen opening her wings so you could come be my chicks and be sheltered and cared for, but you wouldn't come. You've rejected me. Jesus on his cross, before he gets there, right? Father, please, may there be another way. I, I can't suffer this loss, Father. And then as he's on the cross, right at the end, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Gospels say that the most glorious event in all of God's work in the world, in all of God's person, is when Jesus is lifted up on the cross. That is the greatest glory of God. John just pounds away at that in his Gospel. Well, Jesus wraps the cross event in lament before he goes to it and after he's in it and he's completing it. And so God's glory is to lament. And God's glory is to receive our laments. The laments of his people, he welcomes it. And when you do that, when you take your laments to God, two amazing things happen. Your faith can grow because what is David doing here very subtly? Don't go tell the Philistines about this. Don't tell it in Gath. Don't tell it in Ashkelon. Why? Because he's saying ultimately God is meant to win victory and he will win victory over the enemies in the world of the gospel. And so David is leaning into faith here as he laments. He's leaning into hope. He's leaning into love. Believing that God will make this all somehow right. That even in his wisdom, he's going to use the horrible and the evil somehow for good to work his blessing in the world. David's tapping into that. And, and, and David realizes something. He wants Judah to realize it. You can't skip past your grief. We pastors, Christian counselors... Grief therapist, we will all tell you the same thing when you're in a period of grieving, when you've lost somebody. Don't try to skip past the grief. Deal with the grief as it comes to you, the waves and the layers of it. Why? Because that's real and because God is there. Because you find something unique and powerful in God in the middle of your sufferings, you can't get anywhere else. But if you paper over things or deny them or try to have food or sex or just inebriation in some way from a bottle or just puttering around in life, you're going to miss who God is for you in those places of mourning and suffering. That's a core part of the gospel. My wife taught me a bad habit. She's taught me so many good habits. She's taught me anything I know about loving people, really, I learned from my wife. She is an amazing person. Did that Knoxville ride last night without griping, got up, helped us get going this morning, came back. She's a champ. She's taught me one bad habit, and that is when you read a book, skip to the end and see what's happening at the end. Fran always does that. She goes, well, I don't want to see if I really want to read the whole thing, right? 
So the Bible's good that way, right? You can go over there, oh, that looks good. Let's read the whole thing, right? The problem with that is you're not reading the whole story as it comes, right? And God is the author of the story. And if we try to skip past the hard chapters and the grieving places and we don't stop and mourn and wail and take these things to God, we miss part a huge part, maybe the key part of who God is for us and how we can share God with the world. That's the what, a grieving over loss, the where, where do we take them? We take them to God. When is the third question. All the time. Eugene Peterson's wrote a great book on the Psalms. He says he estimates 70% of the Psalms or lament. Just start doing that. You know, Fran and I, we, we just read a psalm every morning. That's kind of our time together early in the morning. We read a psalm before she gets out of bed. I usually get up early and I'm moving and I come back and I say, let me read you a psalm and let's pray together. We just do that over and over and over and over and over. And when you do that, you just realize the psalms are just full of lamentation. Sometimes you can wrap it around praises. You can start with praise like we did today and you come to this lament section and we'll finish with praise. And that's good. But sometimes you're just overwhelmed with the sadness. Some of the songs just pour out grief to God. That's kind of what David's doing here, right? The mighty have fallen. We've lost our king in battle. I'm supposed to be the next king, but there's no succession plan in place. I couldn't even be here to fight because the king and I were estranged. Jonathan is my best friend. David is not sexually confused here, by the way. He is not talking about a relationship with Jonathan that is an erotic kind of relationship. He is talking about friendship with Jonathan that it is so deep that in some ways... It is richer even than a love for a woman. And he's lost a friend. He's never going to have like a friend like that again. Ever. Never had one before. Not gonna, his brothers were jealous of him. His own son is going to try to force him out and run a rebellion. He's never going to have a friend like this again. Heavy, heavy loss. You understand that God allows you to do that? That God wants you to do that? And to do it regularly in your prayers? One of the reasons you need a personal prayer life is because you need space to be real with God. Even in ways you can't be with your family. You can't even be with your spouse, maybe. You need to get real with God. My seminary professor taught Hutch, taught Hutch to Richard Pratt he used to say, get somewhere that's like in a closet or something so you can dance and sing to God when you're happy, but also so you can just get down on your face, on your knees and spread out before God and weep when you're broken. God wants all of you in prayer so he can give all of himself to you in this way. What? Where? When? And lastly, why? We've answered a lot of this already. Why does God want you to do this? 
so you experience all of Him in all the places of your life and then so that you have more of Him to give to others. Let me tell you what I think the heart of the Gospel is the older I get. I think the heart of the Gospel is perhaps best expressed in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, Blessed be the God of all comfort, who has comforted you in your sorrows, that the comfort you have received from Him there, you may comfort others with that comfort wherewith you have been comforted from God. What is the gospel in a fallen and broken world in a fallen and broken life like mine and yours. God coming to you in Jesus and saying, Paul, I love you in the middle of this brokenness. I love you in the brokenness that's put on you. I love you in the brokenness that you have brought on yourself. And I forgive you. And I forgive those that have harmed you. And I want to give you myself and your sufferings. And I want you to be able to share this grace with others that you have received from me. Why else does God want you to do it? Not just so that you're a kind of conduit, a kind of vessel, a riverbed for the gospel, if you will, but also because God loves to move in response to our prayers. Presbyterians are really bad at this. Even churches like yours that are really cool, okay? Because what does our theology say? God's in charge of everything. God's planned everything. God's working everything out with a purpose that's ultimately going to be good at the end. That's true. But you know what the Bible says just as loudly? God moves in responses to your prayers. God cares about your prayers. What you did here this morning that was so beautiful, praying like a big family, that's not just for you. That's for God. Not just to give Him praise, but because God plans and delights to work in response to our prayers. When Moses lamented Israel's rebellion against God, when God says, I'm going to start all over, Moses, with you, and I'll make a whole other family and a whole other nation. And Moses says, please, God, don't do that. You've made promises going all the way back to Abraham. Don't do that, God. Don't let the Egyptians say, oh, God wasn't really strong enough to deliver Israel. He laments, and God hears, and God responds. When the king of Nineveh leads the whole city in repentance toward God, and they put on sackcloth and ashes, even their animals. Wouldn't you like to see that? Animals putting on sackcloth and ashes? And, and God, who had said he was going to destroy the city, relents and spares the city. God wants to use your prayers to change Trenton, to change the world. He does. And so lamenting is important to pray honestly and deeply and passionately to God about that which is gone, that you wish were back, about that that is not right, yet, in you or in the world, God wants to move in response to your prayers. 
Just like he did with David's. Just like he did with Jesus's. He wants to do that with you. So let's learn how to lament. We need to learn how to party like you did last night. That is awesome. We need to learn how to lament too. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you care enough about us and, you, and you're so real and you're such a wonderful father that you, you want us to lament to you. But more than that, you're a God who chooses to move through our prayers to bring change to the world. Father, that is unfathomable to me. I, I'm overwhelmed by that. And yet I know that it's true because I see it everywhere in the Bible over and over and over and over again. So Lord, teach us to lament. Teach us to, to have honesty of soul before you over that which is lost or broken. That which we have broken ourselves or others have broken around us. Help us to take these things to you. To not deny them to cover them up, to inebriate them, but to bring them to you so that you would make us more whole, so that you would comfort us, and so that we can be agents of your comfort in the world. Lord, even use our feeble, weak prayers to change the world. And we pray this all, Jesus, in your name. Amen.